Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of Holy Trinity. I am honored uh, to be in your midst. You are a special church, a special people, with a special rector in Mike McDonald, but also a special staff with Dan and Luke uh, and the entire team here. Uh, When Mike contacted me a while back and asked me to do a pulpit swip, or pulpit swap, uh, I was very much intrigued. Uh, a, a pastor does not give up his pulpit readily. And I began to see what I saw before I even came here in January. And that is the Holy Spirit moving in power, especially in the Anglican church. You see, as Anglicans, we're not just a church unto ourselves, but we are a part of a deanery, a diocese, a communion. And what I see is God uniting the churches, and that is the humility that you have with Mike. And so I'm very excited to be a part of this because we work in cooperation, not in competition with each other. And so I just praise God, and I hope you see what God is doing because these are very exciting days in which we live. And looking at our passage now, we're looking at Jesus who is proclaiming that he is the good shepherd. And so I'll read from a verse from John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, many of you are probably aware that you can teach your smartphone to call you by your name. Now, I have three little boys. They're actually in the back right now. Guys, you want to wave your hands? Can you see? There's one of them. So anyways... They learned this trick before I did. And so one day I go to use my phone and I notice that with every call I make, every email or text that I send out, my phone is referring to me as Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) Well, my wife is mortified. She thinks the entire church is getting phone calls and texts from Obi-Wan Kenobi and that's how I'm styling myself. Well, you Star Wars fans know immediately who this person is. And my boys, you see, had fallen in love with this character and with this story, the story of this epic sci-fi thriller, Star Wars. It's fascinating to me, this movie. It came out in the 70s, and even though it came out decades ago, it still transcends time, and it is still able to gain new and younger fans even today. Well, what is it about this movie that makes it so enduring? Well, for one thing, it is a story about a battle between good and evil. It has heroes, but it has one hero in particular who was foretold that would come from ages past, be more powerful than all the other Jedis, and who would destroy evil. Well, there is a pattern here, isn't there, that we see in other stories and movies. We see this with Harry Potter. We see this with The Lord of the Rings. I think these type of movies grip people because at their core, they, tell, they speak of an adventure that we all want to be a part of. You know, we too struggle with evil in a world that does not function as it should. We too love heroes, don't we? Whether it be in sports or politics or academia. But at the end of the day, we all have a strong sense that if there would be just one person that could get to power, well, they would right all wrongs. Star Wars is so popular because it conjures up these longings deep within us. 
Our problem is, though, is that we keep on trying to find this hero uh, in the people around us. It might be a relationship with somebody. We think, if I could just get into a relationship with this person, all my, all my problems would be solved. That is, until we get into a relationship with that person and we find out all our problems are beginning. <laughs> and just think about politics. I, I've been voting now for several decades. And, you know, there is this idea, if we can just elect the right person to political office, well, then we'll finally have peace in our country. But I tell you, has that been your experience in all the time that you voted? Well, what is going on? Well, either our longings are incorrect or they are misplaced. Well, which is it? I think our gospel reading provides the answer. I believe that all these longings, all these stories that we see, the world see at large, are pointing us towards an ultimate hero. And our passage in John's gospel tells us that it is Jesus Christ who proclaims that he is the good shepherd. He is saying he is the ultimate hero that we all know exists. And even unbelievers long to come to power. So when looking at our text today, we're going to seek to answer one question. What makes Jesus the good shepherd and not just a good shepherd? Well, let's look at the text. Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd. And then he proceeds to compare himself with the hired hands in verse 12, who neither own nor care for the sheep. And what do they do when the wolf shows up? Well, they run away. This contrast is intensified when we recognize the audience. Jesus is not just talking to his disciples. No, he is talking to a group of very angry Pharisees. If you look at the context, if you have your Bibles in front of you, you see that what comes before this is John chapter 9. And you have the man born blind. And he is given sight. And this happens on the Sabbath. And he comes to recognize who Jesus is. And he comes to worship him. And so Jesus is telling these Pharisees, if you recognized who I was, that is God in the flesh, you too would worship me. And so this is the context that we must understand before we can answer this question, what makes Jesus the good shepherd? But now we can answer this question. And our first answer comes in verses 11 through 12. Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life in order to protect the sheep. Unlike the hirelings who flee when they see the wolf, he goes and he gives his life sacrificially for his sheep because they are his and he cares for them. But Jesus is speaking metaphorically. So if he is the good shepherd, then who is the wolf? Well, some commentators say Rome. Others say that this is Satan. And yet others say, well, this must be anything that threatens the sheep. And I think that that last option is the most accurate because as we begin to think about what Jesus goes on to say in verses 11 through 15, we find that he is looking forward to the cross and how he would die a sacrificial death in order to protect the sheep from these things. But what in the world would necessitate such a brutal death? Why? What is threatening them? Well, there are many things, but there are three that I would like to focus in particular on. And these are the wolves of sin, death, and judgment. And so looking at the first sin, 
we see, uh, or, or the first wolf, which is sin, we see this right out of the gate in John's gospel. You remember, John the Baptist is baptizing people, and Jesus comes, and he sees him on the crest of the hill. And do you remember what John the Baptist says? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's right. Sin is a wolf that destroys us from the inside out, and it cuts us off from God. You see, that's our problem. We don't even realize the sin oftentimes that is in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. We'll be able to spot the sin in somebody else. I mean, we'll be able to hit that, you know, from like 500 yards out. <laughs> now, when it comes to our own sin, well, that gets, it's a little fuzzy. But you see, it's like the hymn, Come Thou Fount says, sin makes us prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. Sin makes us foolish. And let me ask you, what is the most foolish animal on this planet? Any ideas? It's a sheep. That's right. And is it any wonder that God chose this animal to symbolize us? Sheep have a tendency to wander away, to get lost, and to put themselves into great danger, all in the pursuit of that tasty next piece of grass. We need to understand that we're just like those sheep, I mean, that's the expression, isn't it? The grass is always greener. And it's our own sinfulness that causes a lot of the grief that we are experiencing in our lives. It is our sin that destroys friendships, families, and even churches. And it is sin that has separated us from God. But in this passage, we learn that Jesus came into the world to draw the wolf of sin away from us and on to himself. He came to take the penalty of sin off of us and to replace it with his victory instead. The other two wolves are death and judgment. And death is a great destroyer who goes after everyone equally, doesn't he? He goes after people great and small, rich and poor, male and female alike. No one can uh, evade this predator. You see, when death comes... It doesn't just ruin our lives, does it? It removes us from this life. And then it ushers us into the courtroom where there is the judgment. And this is what we see here too. I mean, this is what the author of Hebrews said. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And I, I didn't say this to the nine o'clock uh, service. So you get a little bonus here. But I can tell you this. There are people, some of you right now, you feel very judged, and it drives you crazy. It, it keeps you up at night, and it makes you very bitter. And, and you wish that you could just get rid of that. And this is why when we hear that Jesus comes to do away with this wolf of judgment, what we are called to do in the gospel is we are to send that judgment and recognize that Jesus is saying, let that judgment come to me. And we have to recognize a couple things. One, whatever judgment is coming at us, is it even biblical? You know, because oftentimes it is not biblical. And number two, is it even realistic? And when we do that and we recognize that Jesus wants to take that judgment upon himself, well, then we can operate in, in a way that's manageable and it won't tear us apart inside. You see, Jesus Christ is no ordinary shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And when those two wolves of death and judgment gang up on us, he comes out and he destroys them. 
Is this not what he had taught earlier in John chapter 5 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he is passed from death to life. When Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, he saved us from these three wolves of sin, death, and judgment. He saw them coming. He went out to meet them. He drew them away from us. And then he destroyed them by dying for us on the cross. So the first reason that Jesus is the good shepherd is because he laid down his life for us, for God's flock. But you see, the story can't end there, can it? I mean, what happens if the shepherd dies to the sheep? You remember how foolish the sheep are. It's only a matter of time before they run out of uh, grass. It's only a moderate matter of time before they begin to wander. No, if the shepherd dies then, uh, and there's no shepherd to take care of the sheep, then the shepherd has died in vain. But the story doesn't end with a mangled shepherd lying in the midst of three dead wolves with the sheep fending for themselves. No, and verse 18 tells us why. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And what we find here is the second answer to why Jesus is the good shepherd. And the reason he is the good shepherd is because Jesus has authority to be God's Messiah, to be the deliverer of God's flock. And I know you might hear that and you think, well, that, doesn't, that really doesn't do anything for me. But believe me, authority is a, a bigger issue than you realize. Just take this example uh, as a case in point. Imagine tomorrow morning you are startled awake at 2.45 a.m. and you hear your TV turn on and you're waking up and you're still a little cloudy and then you hear somebody rustling through your refrigerator and so you have the boldness to go and investigate and you go and you flip on the lights and lo and behold, who is in your house but Dan Wolf? <laughs> and you're like, Dan, what do you do in my house, man? I'm just watching Netflix, enjoying some Diet Coke. And you know what you're going to say? You're going to say, Dan, you can't come into my house at 2.45, man. You're going to get shot. You don't have the authority. You don't have the permission to come into my house. You see, this is what's going on here. It's about authority. And imagine if Dan said, well, you know, Mike gave me the permission. Mike McDonald gave me the permission to come in my house. What are you going to say? You're going to say, Mike doesn't have permission uh, over my house. Only I do. And here's where you see Jesus' point. Jesus alone has the authority to be God's Messiah and to deliver his people. And this issue of authority comes into play again in John 19. You remember the passage uh, where Jesus has this great interaction with Pilate. Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. And he goes back and forth between Jesus and the Jewish authorities no less than eight times. And he knows that he's innocent. His wife even has a dream. And he, she says, have nothing to do with this righteous man. And, G, and Pilate says to Jesus, who are you? Where did you come from? And Jesus doesn't utter a word. And then Pilate says, do you not recognize that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you. And then Jesus turns to Pilate and he says, you would have no authority at all 
unless it had been given to you from above. And then when I first read that, when I first understood that, that was like a, a bomb went off in my mind. I recognized that Jesus was in control in that moment. It wasn't the Jewish authorities. It wasn't Pilate. Jesus was in control. And when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, it wasn't the nails that was holding, them, uh, holding him to the cross. It was his love for his sheep. And that is the authority that he has for us. And this is why this occupied with greatness. That's why it's such a good uh, theme for you, Mike, to have you all studying. Because in that moment, we must understand that God is sovereign. That he had the authority. And it's in that authority that we are delivered. And it's only through him. So the second reason that Jesus was the good shepherd was because he alone had the God-given authority to be God's Messiah and to deliver God's flock. Well, the third reason that Jesus was the good shepherd was because he had a heart for the whole world. This story doesn't just end with the crucifixion. It doesn't just end with the resurrection, but it looks forward to the future in verse 16 where Jesus is going to go and gather other sheep, sheep that are not currently a part of his fold. You know, the Jews... They were okay with God being with them. But things got a little bit uncomfortable when they began to realize that Jesus started to minister to the Gentiles. And what's the deal, Jesus? Why are you doing that? Or doing that? But you know what? We're not that different, are we? I mean, we're often very comfortable with our church. You know, we don't need to do much. We don't need to grow that much. I mean, I don't want someone taking my pew. I've got a very special pew, you know? Some of you are in small groups right now, and I'm sure Dan is coming to you, and he's like, y'all have got to split your small group. It is bursting at the seams, and you need to birth a group. And you're like, Dan, that is not smart. That is the last thing we need to do right now. I love my group. I don't want to add anybody to it. But you see, God's his desire to save his plans are so much greater than ours. The scope of his saving hand was to go so much further than just a few Jews in Palestine. And it was to extend to the entire world. And you know, Jesus set his disciples' uh, sights on this fact in the Great Commission. Right before he ascended to be with God the Father uh, in heaven. You remember what he said? He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of what? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' mission continues on through today with the very authority and power that raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ cannot be defeated and his sheep will hear his voice and they will follow him on the amazing adventure that he has called them to. So the third reason that Jesus was the good shepherd was because he had a heart for the whole world. And speaking of the world, that brings us back to where we started with the story, the movie of Star Wars. It has become such a hit uh, with so many because it strikes a chord deep within each and every one of us because we recognize that there is something not right in the world in which we live. And we long for a hero to come and make things right. And if you're anything like my little boys you'll want a part to play in this epic adventure too. And the glorious news that I have to share with you today is this. This adventure really does exist. 
There is a hero who really was foretold from eternity past, and he has come to destroy evil. And if that is not enough, he has a part for you to play in this amazing story as well. But before we can join this amazing adventure, there are a couple of questions that we need to address. Are we one of Christ's sheep today? Do we recognize his voice? And are we following him? Well, how do we recognize his voice? Well, do we recognize who Jesus claimed to be? That is, God in the flesh. You know, the blind man recognized this truth. And he suffered a lot of humiliation in coming to worship Jesus. But I tell you what, you remember he was kicked out of the synagogue. Well, that was worth it to be restored to right vision, to have his heart, his soul, and his mind opened to who God really was. And my prayer for all of us this morning is that each of us would hear Jesus' voice, recognize that he alone is the good shepherd, and follow him wherever he leads us, that we might experience his joy forevermore. Lord, may you come and answer this prayer today. Amen.